Uh, if you have your Bible, I'm not sure what to tell you to open to yet. Um, we're going we're gonna to eventually be in Exodus chapter 2. It's kind of the crooks of the sermon, but we'll be in John uh, chapter 17 as well. The, the camera crew asked me if I, did, if I planned to do anything weird before church started, and I said no, and I lied. Because this is the position that I wish I could take today. I, I wish it was just a bunch of one-on-ones with this passage of Scripture. Um, the, the, the thought process of today, the context is parenting. But, but really, it's family, it's life, when we look at Moses' story. Um, a lot of folks have asked, um, how are you doing? How's Connor doing? I mean, Connor is Connor. Y'all, he's already won a chili eating contest or something or another, and who knows? He's, he's doing fantastic, and so are our kids. Thanks for asking about that. Some people ask how we're doing, and, and the reality answer is, is we're good, but I, I'll, I'll give you the non-pastor fluff side of this, that, that when there's a transition in your life, at least in my life, that there is a longing that is real. You follow me? And don't pretend that longing doesn't exist. Whether it's, it's a longing of ours as empty nesters, I've had three conversations today about life change, what's going on in your world. And, and it's, it's amazing how applicable this passage is, whether it's family, maybe you're starting your family, maybe you're empty nester, maybe there's been a life change uh, as you're aging, maybe work, whatever it is. That, that there tends to be a longing that, that I experience right now. Uh, and we talk through it and there tends to be an excitement and an elation that we go through but I want to tell you what I have noticed as I've tried to just present all of this before the Lord and again I mean it, it's been so fun to watch what's going on is that one the longing that I feel as an empty nester in this transition of my life only exists when I look at myself and I look backwards that's the only time that longing is entertained because it's focusing on what I have given up to enter into this next stage. It's focused on what I'm experiencing, all, all the things that I will miss out on. It, it's only when I look at myself backwards that I experience that. And, and I want you to know, there are moments that I do that, amen? There are just moments that pop up. But when I put them before the Lord, here's what I thought as well. Every time I look forward, there's excitement, there's elation, there's hope, there's determination, there's joy. I mean, listen, you can't watch what God's doing in Connor and Ashley's life as their mom or dad and not be like thrilled. Like to bring them back would be like so selfish and destructive. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a reason that Jesus says the man who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is not what? Worthy, fit for what's in front of him. Because there's a trust thing that happens, right? Like, God, I know I was scared to death to become a dad, right? What was in front of me was so much more beautiful than what I was leaving behind, right? We had a teenage daughter, y'all. What is that? Like they just want to they just want to be like you when they're a kid, but but when they become a teenager they want to like figure themselves out. That's ridiculous. 
Do you believe that what's in front of you, as God has promised in his character, even though it's not the same as yesterday, is more beautiful in a whole new way than yesterday could have ever been because it wasn't tomorrow? You follow me? All of a sudden, I'll be honest, and I'll, you can call me on it. You can say, Pastor David, are you having a bad day? Yes. Pastor David, are you being a little selfish? Yeah, I'll get over it. But the reality is this, is that when we talk about raising a family, when we talk about leaning in to who God wants us to be, it's not just about raising children. It's about being married. It's about being a community. It's about how does God call us and, and draw us in so that what we are a part of producing, it proves that what we're selling is real. That he who began the good work, he won't stop until he's done. That tomorrow is more beautiful than yesterday, even when that's hard to believe. And that doesn't mean you can't think back about how awesome yesterday is. I saw four kids at the Astros game goofing off and i was like i remember that that's such a fun feeling i was going into a dollar general a few months back this young mom with one kid probably 18 months old in the stroller i held the door open for her and babies being like semi loud right like mom and dad just so you know your baby's often more loud to you than anybody else right um not always true but most of the time and like a one to ten this child's like a three and a half you know but obviously it's been a hard day and I open the door and this sweet mom says, the struggle is real. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? Sometimes that's transitions in life, raising a family. The struggle, it, it is real. But it's not near what you think it is. There's only one way I can say that with confidence. And that's because the God that we entrusted our family to before it ever started has never proven himself unfaithful. And so even when it's hard for me to understand that what I've left behind feels very different than where I am today, who I am is not based on who I am. It's on who he is, right? And so... I can't sit and do the whole sermon this way. I'm a little too active. But, but raising a family, navigating life in a relationship. Today the context is mama and son. I'm just telling you, it's family context, parenting. But, but here's what I want you to know. It's not a battle. It feels like a battle sometimes. Sometimes you're like, Pastor, I think that is not a theological truth. Right? I, I know. So I started looking up things this week. And do you know what you call stone carving? Is the best word ever. Napping. Who knew? Like when you're telling your child, it's time to take a nap. You are shaping them. You are like, you're going to do this. It's called napping. It's removing large chunks of hard rock substance in the process of shaping it into what you're aiming for. So today, the sermon's about napping, 
Because God didn't call us to raise weeds or reeds that just flow back and forth. In fact, you're, you, in your pursuit of God through the transitions, whether it's with children or with spouses or changes in life, God didn't design you to be a weed or a reed just blown around, just trying to endure whatever season. If on this solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. If you are standing on the solid rock, guess what you are to be? Part of that rock. Because you are God's workmanship. You are God's house. He has been carving out. You've been napping on you since the day you surrendered and beforehand. But you're not to grow and to raise weeds, and you're not to be a reed. And, and those aren't just my words. Those are the words of Scripture. Ephesians 4, I'll read it for you really quick, 14 through 16. So that we, this is Paul writing, right? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves, carried about by every doctrine and wind of human cunning, of craftiness and deceitfulness and schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're going to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. To whom the whole body joined together, held together by every joint which is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Y'all, that's what God's plan is for his family. That's what God's plan is for your family. You follow me? It's not to be a reed, back and forth. But I want you to hear this, that society and the world, there's a lot of pressure to raise reeds, not weeds, but reeds, right? And we're talking about reeds today. It's the story of Moses. But, but society has pressure to weigh, raise reeds. And you might just indulge me a little bit. I'm going to go some places you might think I should go or, or not. But when you raise a reed, right, then you never feel like you've gotten it right parenting, spousing, changing life phases in your family, they tend to be marked by guilt-riddenness or disconnectedness. Because here, here's what a reed does, right? Like a reed chooses its own path at every turn. You can make some funky shape. Where like a, a reed just grow how they multiply. They're cheap, easy, waterproof. They just do their thing. These reeds just grow. They grow wherever, whenever. And somewhere along the way, and, and I don't know, we live in a fallen, sinful world. Somewhere along the way, there's this movement that that is what it looks like. That's what a healthy family looks like, right? Just everybody's growing. Everybody's growing and going their own way. How in the world do you navigate that, if that's true? So I, I took off, that's not my spiritual hat. God created everything. I just put on my my study of of people how god made us which is a spiritual thing so indulge me for a second and, I, and i'm not going to go completely where you want so please don't shut off on me let's just think about raising people when it comes to the word identity right let's just stop right there and, and and I'm not just talking this gender and LGBTQ. I'm not just talking about that. That absolutely falls into place. But I'm talking about all of it. I, I'm talking about how much of who we are is shaped by how people treated us or by what thoughts you had when you were in between the ages of 8 
and 16. Right? Man, I'm talking about how that coach told you what the definition of a man was, and it wasn't even, none of his words were even in the Bible. You follow me? I'm talking about how, how people decided you are this person. You are cool. You are dorky. You are awesome. Right? You're, you are this. You're, you, I think you like people who are like this. You should be this. You should try this. You should experience all of these things. So obviously the current conversation of today is gender identity. Obviously. But y'all, it's been going on a long time. That during that phase of life, we let our kids kind of experience all of this craziness. And what we're really doing is just letting the world blow and toss them wherever we want to. And we're hoping that when they come home, our example's enough. That's, that is what, for 80 years at least, that's what the world says. That's how you build a godly family. They get tossed around and they come home and you stitch them up and show them how good Jesus is. Then you send them back out again. Chew on this for just a second. So again, it's a spiritual thing because God created everything. But I want you to know something. The way that God designed us, literally, this is not my opinion, literally, your DNA is a treasure trove of secrets. And it unlocks them periodically over a 20 to 25 year period of your life. In other words, your brain doesn't stop growing until you're about 20 to 25. There are secrets and truth that your brain literally can't comprehend or understand because God designed you to grow. He didn't just unlock it and say, have fun when you're three. So literally, literally, as we parent, if we parent reads, what we're saying is, I understand that my children literally do not have access. If they look at you like mom and dad, you don't know anything, and you're like, you have no clue what you don't know. You're both right. They're like, you don't know anything. From everything I know, you're crazy. That's right, because you don't know everything. Literally. So, so if God designed us to unlock truth, to allow us to grow, then we have to be intentional throughout, but most intentional in times of transition. But that's not how society does it. Society says, y'all listen, we're going to shape the next generation during puberty when bodies don't make sense, when emotions don't line up, and when our DNA has not locked, unlocked every truth to even know how to manage this thing. And some of you in this room today, you are who you are because some junior high coach, when you were 13, told you that you will never be a fill in the blank. Some of you in this room are who you are today Because someone told you, I think you're a this. Let me tell you something. That's reed growing. That's not biblical. But here's the pushback. As a parent, you have two stances, right? 
two choices. These are the only two choices. It's funny, we, I find one feels like it belongs in the liberal and one lines in the conservative camp. Two choices. One, support. Support your, your children as long as they're in your home. From zero to 18, support them. Affirm, accept, allow at every moment. Let's go. You don't want to risk losing them. The other one is protect, omit, oppress, or opt out, right? One of those sounds really like the Christian way of handling things, and one sounds like the, the non-Christian way of handling things. If, if I were telling you this, I would have been like, well, I would tell you the world says affirm, accept, allow, support, but not, not us in the church. We oppress, omit, we opt out, we protect. Are you ready for this? Both of those are worldly. Neither belong in the Christian camp. Neither belong in the book of biblical parenting, which is the Bible. They're not there. Listen, don't listen to my words. Listen to Jesus as he prays for his family. In, in John 17, 6, if you turn there, it'll be on the screen. Jesus prays these words. I have manifested your names, talking to his father, to the people whom you gave me out of the world, my family. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. They've been faithful. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. I've been faithful to you. They know our relationship. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. They're all in. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the, the world, but those you have given me, for they're yours. There's a special stewardship being talked about. Almost sounds like a father and his family. All mine are yours. Yours are mine. I'm glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name which you have given to me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given to me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have, the, their, excuse me, they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So sanctify them in the truth. As you have sent me into this world, I have sent them into the world. I, I, I want you to, to listen to the words of Christ. We have the joy of reading all of Scripture on the other side of the resurrection. Like, that's the benefit we have. And we're not going to be like, well, you shouldn't read it that way. All of Scripture, if anyone ever tells you you shouldn't read the Old Testament through the lens of the resurrection, they are just out of their mind. You follow me? You can look at them and say, my pastor just said to lovingly tell you you have lost your ever-loving mind. That's ridiculous. Because we do. Because it all pointed to it. That was the point of it. And now we get to look back and put the dots together. And what Jesus says for his family, he doesn't say, Father, I'm going to you soon. So just affirm them. Just accept them where they are. Just allow them to be whoever they be. He doesn't say that. 
He doesn't say, Father, Lord, Lord, oppress, admit, opt out. Just pluck. Did you take them when you take me? Would God, would you just bubble wrap them? Like, please, God, just completely remove them from the world. Completely pull them back from the world. We just, I just don't want them to stump their toe. Just please, God. He didn't say that either. And, and, and the reality is, in the next 20 minutes, we are not going to unpack biblical parenting through Scripture. It's not happening. I just want to stir the pot. We'll be done soon, okay? Because although it is directly about parenting, it's also about being a husband and wife. It's also being family. Please don't turn me off if you don't have children in your home. Because the word of God is good, and I promise it ends and points to and breathes Jesus. Are you with me? Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. This is what the Bible says. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. And the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes, dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. For his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came to bathe at the river while her young women were walking beside the river water. She saw a basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Well, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go? Shall I call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away. Nurse him for me, and I'll give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. His name was Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, here's the beauty of this. I wanted to read the whole thing, because I just need to get out in front of it, because the world's lost our mind. All the key players in this story are women, Right? I just want y'all to hear this. I, I think there's a, a, a tone that's trying to be pursued in this world that says that God does not value men and women the same. Let me, let me articulate this in Scripture really clearly for you. Men and women are equal in God's eyes and in His kingdoms, even if their parts aren't exactly the same. You follow me? Okay? That's what Scripture says. Men and women are equal in God's kingdom, in his eyes, in his heart, and in his love, even if their parts aren't exactly the same. Moses' dad is not in the story. That doesn't mean he's a loser. That doesn't mean he's a deadbeat. Remember chapter 1. The Pharaoh has made his dad a slave. He's living through bitterness all day in servitude. I'm telling you, Dad, sometimes, sometimes that's just part of our role. Sometimes you don't get mentioned in the story. That's all right. Doesn't mean there's nothing for you there. You with me? 
There's one place Moses' dad is mentioned, and we need to go to it. Verse 1, chapter 2. Now, it says, a man from the house of Levi took a wife, a Levite woman. This may be the biggest point of the day, right? This may, this may be it. Remember, I told you we're reading the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus Christ, right? Well, I want you to know the people who are reading this story already know the story. Y'all follow me? They are living post when the law was given to them. They already have, you know, walked through the desert. They already have these things. They've already got the history of it. They're not like, oh, there was a Levite man married to Lena. I wonder who it's going to be. It's going to be Moses. They know the story, right? I mean, it's just like, like your kids. When they say, you know, Jesus healed a blind man, right, on his way into Jerusalem, right, in the city of Jericho. The blind man's name was what? Bartimaeus. If you're talking about blind Bartimaeus, we know the story. So that's, I want you to know that matters, and here's why it matters. Because when the Bible goes out of its way to say, this is a man, this child, this story is from a Levite man and a Levite woman. If you fast forward a few pages in your Bible, you'll see that when God was giving the law and the way things were gonna work out, that the Levites were special people. The Levites were not kings. They were not champions. They were not doctors. They were not great warriors. In fact, what most other societies would say you should be, that's not what a Levite was. A Levite was a servant of God among the public. He was a minister. He was a servant. See, before you get too far in, even being familiar with this story, here's what the Bible says. Is, as we're going to walk through Moses' life, and we're looking through his family, this is not the story of how to raise a champion. This is not a story of how to build wealth. This is the story of a servant. A servant of God who served the Lord in public. Now, did Moses lead? Yes, but he was a servant of God in public. Did Moses judge? Yes, but he was a servant of God in public. Did Moses oversee battles? Was he? Absolutely. But none of those things were him. Church, we have created an environment and a scenario where we are known by what we do and not who we belong to, our role before the king. And when we do that, when your life stage changes, you lose a little bit of your identity and have to reform a new identity again. That's why it's so scary. That's not God-honoring. That's not his plan for you, and that's not his plan for your children. I think the reason that God goes out of his way to make sure everybody knows, like, wholeheartedly, this is the story of a servant, is because that's who we are called to be and who we are called to raise. That's it. Church, that's a little different. I remember talking with my dad when I was younger. My dad desired, and he loved me. He desired that his children would be more successful than him. That was his desire. And, and he did, I mean, he supported and encouraged us. When I told him I was going into ministry, he was happy as he could be. The last day he took breath on this earth, he was in this building. We were hugging and praying before he went back home. 
But I want you to know, I think sometimes the world says a big, thick reed. That's what you're trying to grow. And God says, you're not growing reeds. They pop up. They're a dime a dozen. You're raising servants. Because the servant stands. If you need a doctor, I'll be your doctor because I'm a servant. If you need a judge, if that's what God says, I'll, I'll do it because I'm a servant. You never lose who you are when who you are is a servant of the Most High God. You follow me? If there's anything you need to instill with your children, it's that. Some of you, some of us, you get heartbroken when, when Connor stopped playing soccer and said, Dad, I'm just going to do choir and drama. I was like, oh, I love cheering and running and being that obnoxious father. You can't do that in a play. You can't, great line. It's frowned upon. But I think sometimes... We're just going for thick reeds, and God's saying, no, go for a servant. Go for a servant. Let me, on the back end of that, I'm so thankful he chose the route he chose. How better, looking back, could God have prepared him for the calling he put on his heart? You follow me? God's so good. Dads are so dumb. Women don't amen that. Just kind of go with it. So here's the question. If you do have a kid in your home, if you have grandkids, who are you raising? What are you anchoring their identity to? And how are you reflecting this in your life and actions? That's the question. And I think you have to answer something yourself, and that's who am I trying to be? I don't, listen, you can't go back and raise yourself to be different. You can't go back and say, Mom and Dad, I wish you'd have raised me to be a servant. A Levi of Levi, I wish you'd have done this. I, you can't go back. But what you can do is start today. See, God, if I'm going to raise servants, guess what I have to be? A servant. If, if that's what's going to happen, that's what it's going to be. This is what I would tell you. If you get no further on in this sermon, and there's a little bit left, follow me on this. Here's what you should do. You shouldn't leave without that question staying on your mind. If you are married... Who are you pouring into your spouse to be? A servant or a battle battalion that can stand up to you in your worst moments? If you're married, I would tell you before you go to bed tonight, say it out loud and make sure you're on the same page. And the right answer is a servant of the Most High God. In verse 2 and 3, there are two actions that stand out to me that show that Moses's mom was raising a servant I think when God inspired these words to be written he made these words we'll stop in verse 2 and then we'll go on to verse 3 verse 2 now the woman Moses's mom conceived and bore a son and when she saw that he was a fine child she hid him three months let's just start there right first of all you're like when she saw he was a fine child she hid him like if he was ugly I mean it's not what it means. Mortality among infants is real, and we're not as used to it as they were. But when she saw he was going to live and he was going to be healthy and strong, she made a decision. And her decision was very clear. She was going to use all that God had made her to serve the Lord and invest directly into Moses' life. So for three months, 
she said, I'm, I'm going to use all that I have, all that God has given me. It's yours, God. I'm going to use it for your glory in faithfulness to caring for my son. Church, this is biblical stewardship. This is where it starts. If you want to know how we are called to raise servants who reflect the King of kings and Lord of lords, it's through biblical stewardship. Your child is not your own. They belong to the Lord. Your wife, your, your husband, they are not your own. You are stewarding that relationship to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And there's some awesome benefits on the back end. But if you and I are going to do that, then we have to use all that we have given for the time that God gives us to directly invest it for God's glory into those children around us. See, because biblical stewardship requires direct investment. I'm going to say this. I won't make you finish it because I'm going to go a different direction with it. You love these phrases, catchphrases. If you say this, I, I still think you're a good person. But like, I'm going to let go and let God. Right? It's like, I feel like it should be followed by, you better get right or you're going to get left. You better get high before you get low. <laughs> right? I think maybe we should say, I'm going to let go and obey God. Right? That's what Moses' mom does. That's why God goes out of the way and says, this is a servant family raising a servant, the most well-known servant in, in Israelite history. And she, she's willing to say, God, I will let go of all I have and I will pour it into this child. I will not just let go and hope something happens. You have given me this child to steward. Not to, to bury and hide until the master comes back. That's evil New Testament stuff. Don't do that. Not to be careless with. That's New Testament condemnation. Don't do that. But if you give your life directly to God as a servant and you use all that God has given you to serve God faithfully, not your plans, not your intentions, not even the child. But if you use that to serve God in the way you steward the child in front of you, then you are not standing on sinking sand. You follow me? This can go all over the place. But the question really becomes, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to say that? Because I, listen, some of you are further along this journey than I am. I'm coming for favors. You know, we have like friends adopting empty nester weekend. We've been out every night. You're like, what's it like to be home by yourself? I don't know. I got nine more nights before I will know, right? It's good. I have people that love me. The reality, the reality is this is a decision that you have to make. Has God called you to be a servant who makes servants? And is that the way you parent your child and lead your family? I would tell you it's the right way because Jesus says it. He says, listen, a servant, it's not enough. They're not going to be greater than their master. It's enough that they be like. Right? God's not calling you to raise some kind of new creation that's outside of something he's ever seen so he can be like, wow, you're so awesome. He just wants you to mimic him. Follow his lead and trust him with everything you have. 
And as long as God has that life in front of you, you steward it directly. But there will come a day when that's not a possibility. For Moses' mom, it came three months in. Chapter 2, verse 3. Right? This is what the Bible says. When she, mom, could no longer hide him, she took him uh, for him a basket made of bulrushes, dabbed it with bitumen pitch, and she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. I love it. Three-year-old. Do you remember that three-month-old age? That's about the time when you can't keep them quiet by the passy or by rocking or whatever else, right? Man. And so, so in this, she's like, okay, I can't. There's nothing I can do anymore. So she does something that's amazing. Now, look in your Bible in verse 3 again. Do you see the words... So when she couldn't do anything else, she put him in a basket, tossed him in the river, and prayed for God to do good things. It doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say, like, she just picked him up and said, well, I got nothing. God, here we go. There's a sweet trusting in verse 3. There's a sweet trusting that, that's almost like, God, I, I know I can't do anything else but when I hand them over to you, I'm going to hand them over to you to the best of my ability. She didn't toss them out. She didn't say I have nothing left to give. She didn't hold on to him beyond her ability and risk his life and others' life. She didn't hold on to those strings. Moms, you follow me? No, not that you would ever feel this way. Dads, you can feel that way too. When I read this verse, Romans 5 verse 6 came to mind. At just the right time. At just the right time. Christ died for the ungodly for those who were unable who didn't have a clue who had no ability to change their direction at just the right time God intervened we have to understand when there's a right time I, I'm not saying what it's going to look like or be like for your clan she wasn't I'm sure she was scared but she wasn't reckless. I love it. She put him in a basket made of bulrushes. It's just a papyrus reed. This is the fun part, right? And she put pitch and bitumen around it, okay? I want you to know, I'm just reading about this. It's an amazing thing. Most of the furniture was most likely made out of the reed that they lived in because wood was expensive. So catch this. Now, now this is me wondering. She probably didn't weave a basket together and hope it would be waterproof. It's really more than likely that she took a small piece of furniture, whether it be a crib type event or whatever, and she waterproofed it. Not recklessly, not rushed. I can almost see like a piece of home. What's bitumen and pitch? probably something like an asphalt that's what the bitumen word means asphalt probably coal that was hardened over time she crushed and she waterproofed and then she placed him in the reeds she turned him over lovingly full of care and intentionally into the hands of God she didn't send him down the river hope this works out I mean we're doing that a little bit in our home right now what she's saying is, God, this I've given all that I can directly give. So I'm trusting you. 
And I'm sure like a mom, she's thinking, I would love to have more to play, but this, I know this part of my season's ending. She placed him in the reeds. Do you know where Pharaoh's uh, daughter's workers found Moses? In the reeds. They didn't like catch him barely escaping the alligator. I mean, the cartoon was awesome. But she placed him in the reeds. Pharaoh's people, his daughter found him in the reeds. It was almost like there was, not knowing what could happen, she would never believe what was going to be the case. But she didn't abandon her spiritual servanthood when her time ended. She put him in a place that was safe, and she made it as good as she could make to support him, but knowing that he had to be trusted into God's hands. Church, there's a temptation to demand and ensure by any God-centered means you can that you will support or protect your child, your family, your home from any change ever happening. Resist that evil temptation. From the words of Christ in Matthew or in John 17 to the example of Moses, from the day your child is born, say, God, this child is to be a servant of yours, and I want to turn them over to you at every minute. And God, there's going to be some days where I'm sitting on the front porch crying, and you just remind me this is all about self and not about trusting me. Moses' mother put the baby in the basket, put him among the reeds. Verse 4 through, through 10, follow me here on this. This is so good. And his sister stood at a distance to, to know what would be done to him. I just want you to know that word know. We talked about it last week. There became a new pharaoh in Egypt, a new king who did not know Joseph. He didn't care to know. It's the same word, yada. In other words, his sister wanted to know. Like she wanted to know what was happening. Mom just placed baby in the house three months among the reeds. Whether she's crying, whether she's strong, it doesn't matter. She wants to know what happened. She is vested in this child's life. Verse 5. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down and bathed at the river while the young woman walked beside the river. She saw a basket among the reeds and her servant woman. She took it. When she opened it, she saw a child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him. And this is one of the Hebrew children. Verse 7. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Praise God that that part of her DNA hadn't unlocked her brain that says, You're about to get killed, child. Like, sincerely, I mean, think about it. How sweet and amazing is it that in this home of raising servants, that this child cared that her, her brother's future would be known, and not even knowing that when, they were, that, that when they picked this child up that was supposed to be condemned to death by Pharaoh's order, that she would just step out of the bushes and says, Hey, y'all want me to go get someone to keep this baby alive for you? Could you imagine if an adult would have been there, they'd have been like, oh, sorry. <laughs> like, fear would have overwhelmed us. If the story would have ended here, there's a blessing that we would already see in Moses' home. You see it? This raising servants has a boldness to say, I'm not really interested in the world might think or do. I just want to be faithful to what God might have me be a part of. Like, that would be the whole win. But then God does something way out of bounds he shows Moses' mother that the future he has planned when you trust me with your life 
when you trust me with your child is better than any future you could have created on your own. Remember, for three months in fear, in hiding, in threat of death, and in poverty, she did all that she could for this child. And then she turns him completely over to the Lord, knowing that her time was ending. And what happens? Y'all listen. Verse 8. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And the girl went and called the child's mother. Could you imagine? I mean, y'all, the Bible is not just word. Like, it's his story. Could you imagine you just turned your child over into God's hands for certain death? You don't have to dream of the future because it's too sure. And you say, God, I trust you and I don't get it and I don't know this season. And your daughter comes and says, Mom, you won't believe it. She goes with her daughter to Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter says, and she doesn't say it this way, God has removed the threat of fear from your household by the hand of your enemy. He is removing the pain of poverty by the coffers of your killers. You are going to have a lot more time with your child to shape him into the servant of God. Pharaoh's daughter's clueless. She's just thinking, sure, this random child, go get a random mother, and I'm going to pay you to take care of my future child. This sounds great. But Moses' mother would have known, God, you are good. I can't imagine, I literally can't imagine her feeling that moment. But I know in my life as a parent, and I know in your lives of transition, it may be family, it may be work, it may be spiritual, different things. I know there are moments when you say, God, I, every scenario, everyone, everyone falls short of where I've been. But let me trust you still. Let me believe in you still. The beauty of that is that we have a God who knows how to give good gifts. We serve a God who if your friend will do right with you because you're annoying, he will do it because he loves you. Who told the disciples, those who've given up will be repaid more than you can imagine. Church, that is true everyone who trusts all that they are to who he is and all that they have to his glory it's not abandonment it's not just ridiculous affirmation it's putting your life and the life of your family into the hands of the only one who is able to hold tomorrow
Do you know if you've confessed Christ, your whole existence is based on God proving true on a promise that tomorrow is better than yesterday? Do you know that? When the Lord is done, those who are his, who have said, God, I am your servant. You are my king. I leave all that I am at the feet of your cross. That a perfect reality forever, eternity with him, that that waits for you. So as we sing our song of invitation today, if you don't know Jesus, start there. Trust him with who you are. If you do know Jesus and you're in a time of transition, maybe you're in the depths of parenting, maybe you've never thought it before, say it right here, right now. Father God, I am raising a servant. And to do that, let me be a servant. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, you're so incredible. You're so amazing. You're so awesome. And God, I just pray the day that you will be glorified beyond ever, ever anything we can think of, God. Lord, that you would have your way in us, that you would do what you would want to do. God, that we would surrender all that we are for all that you are, God, because there's nothing better than what you have planned. Even when we can't imagine it, even if we can't believe it, even when every indicator says that we're putting our our money in the wrong pocket, God. Lord, we abandon every part of it because we trust you. So help us to trust you sweetly. Help us to trust you fully.